This occurred the last day of spring break. It was around 3 in the morning, and I was sitting in my living room. I was eating and watching one of my favorite shows, Supernatural, when I heard something at the back door. Someone or something was tapping on our sliding glass door. Not quite a knock, but a very harsh tap. At first I was furious because I thought my brother had somehow locked himself out, and I wasn't about to get up and help him. A few moments later, my dog started growling and barking, which scared me because he would never bark or growl at any family members. When he ran to the back door, I was thrown into a panic attack. I had no idea what to do because my parents were asleep and was completely unaware of what was happening in their home. My mind flooded with the worst case scenarios and all the different ways someone could kill me or kidnap me. I realized that if I didn't do anything, somebody might just waltz right into the house. So I grabbed the poker from the fireplace and slowly made my way to the back doors. I walked over to the sliding glass doors where I heard the tapping come from. I tried to look outside to see if anyone was there, but it was too dark. I couldn't see anything. I then used the flashlight on my phone in an attempt to see out the window, but it didn't work. So then I turned to look out the actual back door and it was open. I was petrified. I had never been that scared in my entire life. Even more worst case scenarios started cramming themselves into my mind. Like, he's already inside, or he's right behind me. I immediately spun around and swung the poker, making myself look like an idiot when there wasn't anybody behind me. I then realized that someone had opened the door and that they might be out there waiting for me to investigate. After I thought that, I knew I wasn't going anywhere near that door. Instead, I threw the poker at the door in order to get close enough that I felt comfortable closing and locking it. I ran over to the door and locked it as quickly as I could before picking up the poker off the ground. I tried once again to look out the window. I could barely faintly make out something or someone moving a tarp while rushing away. I immediately ran to my parents' room to tell them that someone had just tried to break into our house and they completely ignored me. I told them that someone had opened the back door and I saw someone running away. My mother responded with, did you lock the back door? She wasn't even the slightest bit worried, which scared me even more. For the next two weeks, I refused to go anywhere near the back doors after it got dark. This was the most horrifying experience of my life and I don't think anything will ever compare to those four minutes. So whoever was outside my house, let's not meet. So there was this guy in my closet I'd like to not meet again, but I'll start from the beginning and we can go from there. The first time I came face to face with this strange man was about seven years ago. It was a normal summer day. Now I didn't have a terrible childhood, but I didn't have a great one either. My mother was struggling to make ends meet, and we lived in a really crappy two-bedroom house. It was my mother, her boyfriend, my two younger brothers, and myself. My mom worked nights, and so did her boyfriend, so it was up to me to watch my two brothers in the evening. It was just like any other normal summer day at first. My friends and I hung out during the day, walked around our small town, and enjoyed the warm weather. Now, for it being a small town, There's still plenty to do. Walk through the woods, go to the park, 
all of the typical kids things. We decided to waste time at the park until I had to go home and watch my brothers. It was normal boring stuff. We walked around, played with a basketball that someone left behind, sat on the swings and talked about our lives and what we were going to do when we got older. It was nearing 3pm when I noticed a guy sitting on the bench over by the basketball court. Now, it was nearing the time for me to go home anyways, and as the man was giving me and my friend both the odd vibe, we decided to leave. As we neared Main Street, which my house also happened to be on, we parted ways. I got home, and my mother lets me know that there's leftovers for the boys and myself, and then she's on her way to work. We spend most of the days indoors, watching TV or playing video games. Around 7.30, my brothers wanted to go outside to ride their bikes. It's just now getting dark, so I agree. They ride their bikes for a half hour. I'm sitting on the curb, looking at my phone, texting my friend about how bored I am, when my youngest brother, who must have been around 7 at the time, comes up to me and points over towards our house. I look just in time to see what looked like a man walk inside. I immediately tell my brothers not to worry and continue riding their bikes as I call my mother letting her know what just happened. She calls the police and they show up within 5 minutes, seeing that the police station is only a few blocks away. They do a full search of the home but find nothing. They speak to my mother on the phone and tell her there's nothing there and it must have just been our imaginations. Tentatively, my brothers and I go back into the house. So I sit them down and turn on the TV. Time flies and I look up and it's already 9.30 and I really got to get them to bed soon. I head upstairs to go into our closet. All three of us share one bedroom, so all of our clothes are in one closet. I turn the closet light on and start digging through a pile of clothes on the floor that we never got around to putting away. I hear a noise that sounds like a deep breath. Thinking it was just my imagination, I continue to pull out pajamas for my brothers. I grab their PJs and go to pull the string to turn off the lights. Out of the corner of my eye, I see movement. I look over and see a face peering out of the large pile of clothes. There's a man hiding under our clothes in the closet. He made a sudden movement, and I booked it. I take off running. I can hear him struggling to get out of the clothes, and I didn't stop running. Down the hallway, down the stairs, knocking anything over in the process, in hopes of slowing him down. I burst into the living room and grab my brother's arms, practically pulling them out of the sockets in an attempt to drag them out of the house. We were outside and three blocks away before I quit dragging them behind me. I reach for my phone to call the police, but it's not in my pocket. I must have left it on the couch. So we hoofed it. I drag my brothers behind me in the middle of the night. They are tired, and they don't know what happened, and I won't tell them. They didn't need to know. They would never want to go into that closet ever again. I get to the police station, and they call our mother. Then they drive us home, and she leaves work early. They do another full search but once again find nothing but the mess I made in my attempt to leave. No evidence. Nothing. They basically told me to stop wasting their time and they left. My mother said she believed me but of course I knew it was just something she would say to console me. She says I could stay the night at a friend's if I can get a hold of someone just to make me feel better. We all go inside and my mom sends my brothers to get cleaned up for bed. I walk over to the couch where I left my phone. It wasn't there though. It was on the floor smashed to pieces. It was very obvious that it was smashed by a hammer, seeing as the hammer was sitting right next to it. I call my mother over, 
and show her the mess of my phone on the ground. She walks over to the storage cabinet and pulls down the toolbox we have. She opens it and our hammer is still inside. I didn't realize what that meant at the time, but now that I think about it, that man was in our home, in my closet, in my room, with a hammer, just waiting and hoping for me and my brothers to fall asleep. Let's not meet again, please. I've just recently moved into a decent sized two bedroom house with a full basement where a lot of my family's not so important belongings are still stored in boxes to be sorted through. Our house resides in a quiet neighborhood, but our elderly neighbors have advised us on some sketchy figures wandering about late at night as there's a section of neighborhood two or so blocks away that houses those who have no place to go. Fast forward maybe two weeks. I had gone down to the basement to sit through my items and had noticed a few random things on our tables. A toolkit, binders, family pictures, etc. They had been opened and strewn about carelessly. Thinking another family member was sorting as well, I picked them up and went about my task. Over the following week, I would hear strange banging coming from the basement, sort of like our washing machine lid being shut. Now I'll admit, I'm skittish. My mind sometimes jumps to the worst possible outcome, so I became worried. At the time, I was the only person home, so I grabbed the pepper spray and went to go check. Stupidly, I might add. Our basement has two full rooms, plus two adjoining smaller rooms, one of which had a door that I had not opened myself. It is also barred by a beam of some sort, but the door stands slightly ajar. I assume it's just a small storage area. Upon turning on all the lights and cautiously looking around, I saw that a few more of our belongings and boxes that we hadn't unpacked yet had been opened and laid on the floor. What concerned me most was that the basement door that leads to the outside on the side of our house was unlocked. That is not something my family would forget about. Further inspecting the basement proved that there was no one inside though I did not pry open the barred door. Telling my father about this, he said that the noises were probably the heater popping and perhaps he forgot to lock the side door after taking out the trash. I'm not so convinced about his theory, but I really hope I'm not correct in thinking that someone may have found their way into our home and have been scavenging through our stuff in the basement. As I'm writing this, nothing has happened but hearing people walk the streets shouting on some nights has me uneasy. I make sure that the doors are locked every night now. And on a free day, I will have my dad open that door in the basement to put my mind at rest. This past September, I took a road trip to Myrtle Beach with my family. It was myself, my mother, my sister, her husband and their two kids. We had to use my car and both my sister's and husband's car to transport everything and all of us. We rented a beach house for a little over a week and we had a pretty great time. I was in the middle of a difficult point in my life, struggling with my employment and being between two jobs and just had started two new jobs. I was low on funds and was really worried about making my car payment 
so I opted to head home two days earlier with my car so I could try to get a few more hours at work. My family expressed being nervous as I planned to leave after dinner and drive through the night to get home. I consoled them and told them that I would be okay to be up all night and I'd head straight home and only stop for gas and food as needed. I'm an excellent driver, a tad impatient, and I tend to go until I absolutely had to stop and take a break. However, this would be a 12-hour trip, and I knew I'd need breaks. So I made the point to stop at every rest stop to at least get out and stretch so I would stay awake and not get too sore. Going through West Virginia, I'm sure you guys know how secluded the rest stops and visitor centers can be, especially when you're heading north from the south going through the mountains. I stopped at the visitor center because they advertised having a fast food joint and I had to piss like a racehorse. This was sometime very late at night, maybe 1am to 3am. Side note that sent shivers down my spine after what happens. I like to drive barefoot, so I pulled in and noticed that the buildings with the fast food were closed. So I drove around the lot and parked under a street light in front of the visitor center so I could use the restroom. Leaning out my car door, I took my time putting my shoes on to walk inside, having looked around and not seen anything out of the ordinary. I checked my phone and grabbed my wallet before standing up to walk in, making sure my car horn beeped to signal my doors were locked. Walking towards the center, I saw a man in a white hoodie standing at the edge of the sidewalk leading into the center. I didn't think much of it until I passed him and got an off vibe. I glanced over my shoulder and he was watching me walk in. For some reason, I glanced to my left as I turned back to face forward and noted another man sitting on the benches that were on the other side of the tall, thin bushes. Instantly, I thought, nope. I went in and peed, and before I walked out of the bathroom, I called my roommate. As dumb as it was because he was four to six hours away, I just felt safer. I gave him a quick rundown of my situation and made him stay on the phone with me. I started to walk out, and I couldn't see the man at the front of the sidewalk anymore. I glanced to my now right and saw both men standing next to the bench. Facing forward, I saw a couple walking in to use the restrooms as well. I had an impulse to ask them to walk with me, but my paranoia kicked in because I knew something was wrong somewhere in my situation, and I didn't ask, thinking they might know the men. I walked briskly to my car. I explained to my roommate that the men were by the benches. I peek over my shoulder again, and I saw the men with the white hoodie walking towards me, and I told my roommate. Walking a few more steps forward, I looked back again and saw that his pace had quickened. At this point, I told my roommate he's following me to my car, and I booked it. I thankfully had a key fob. I got my key out and ready and I locked my car and practically threw myself inside of it, not daring to glance back. I threw my car in reverse and gunned it backwards before going back into drive and sped off and didn't even stop to put my seatbelt on till I was at the exit to leave the parking lot. I didn't look back once. The next stop I made was at the toll road and I filled out a report and the workers called the state troopers to head over there and check things out. I couldn't stop shaking for hours and I refused to get out of my car until I was home. I terrorized myself at the thought of if these guys paid attention and made their move more quickly, they could have got me at my car while I was facing the ground putting my shoes on and I would have absolutely had no defense.
I close a lot of nights at work, so that means late nights at the train station. I remember this like it was yesterday, even though it happened about two years ago. I had a late close at work, so I missed the bus I usually take and had to walk home. Fine, I've walked home several times before, but there was this man who gave me a weird vibe. He was staring at me with that stare. Now, not sure how to describe in words. As I checked the schedule on the wall for another bus, going in the direction, I realized that there was not another one for an hour. I wasn't about to sit around the train station where junkies like to hang out. Going back to the weird man, I tried to ignore him, but when I exited the station, I noticed he happened to go to the same door as me. I tried to brush it off as maybe he had a car in the parking lot or was waiting for someone in the pickup or drop off lane, but I had a gut feeling that wasn't the case because as soon as I stepped into the parking lot, he started to follow me. My brain and body started to panic and I had to think on the fly what to do. I never had anyone follow me before and I surely didn't want this guy knowing where I lived even though my house was a half an hour walk from the station. Despite being on edge, I still kept walking and once I got to the fire station, at the other side of the parking lot, I turned back. There was the man still approaching me and quickly. I feel it is important to point out that the man was very tall so we crossed the parking lot in half the time it took me to cross. Now you're probably thinking, why not stop at the fire station and ask to wait for the guy to pass you? There wasn't anyone sitting at the desk in the window, like usual. And the place was darker than the bat cave, since it was 11.45 at night. Trying to ignore the man approaching, I crossed the street and make it past a dimly lit church and an empty elementary school. I walked at an above average pace, not looking back since the fire station. About seven minutes passed for me to walk from the other end of the elementary school where I had to wait for the walk light. My body wanted me to keep walking, but my brain made me do the unthinkable and turn to look back to see him walking towards me on the sidewalk. He was at the playground next to the school and in a few long strides, he could have easily caught up to me. But at this point, my brain decided to take an alternate route home. In the back of my mind, I still was thinking it was simply a coincidence but it was almost midnight on a Wednesday and there is no way this man lives in the same direction I do and would have happened to take the exact same route as to me getting home. Instead of crossing the street, I turned right and go up next to a duck pond by my house even though I would still be climbing the same hill home. When I get to the next traffic light in a usually quiet suburb, I have an urge to look back again and thought to myself, maybe he will just cross the street and not turn right. He was still there almost like he was walking faster to catch up with me. I said I was panicked before, but now it's worse. I didn't even wait for the walk light and took off across the street. Sadly for me, the man also crossed the street. I went from speed walking to brisk jogging at this point. As I reached the end of the street, I turned left and continued to jog the edge of the duck pond on my route. When I got to the other side of the duck pond, I looked back and the man was again about 30 feet away. I ran faster. I ran as fast as my little legs could carry me up the hill and didn't look back until I walked into my house, locked the door, and locked the front window. I was finally able to put my guard down and didn't see him follow me up the hill and I don't think he found out where I lived. I slept under the blankets that night and never told anyone what happened. In short, let's never ever meet again.
This all happened when I was about 16. I was in high school and working at my first part-time job at a fast food restaurant. It was located off a highway and wasn't uncommon to get a lot of crazy customers. I arrived at work one day and was surprised to see that my schedule that week had changed giving me a graveyard shift on Friday night. The thought of being at this place overnight gave me the creeps and I thought my manager was insane by making the youngest employee take that night shift. But it wasn't a school night and I didn't want to seem like a baby so I just accepted it. When the night came it was just me and another co-worker who was a larger man and was very friendly so it made me feel safe and comfortable with him there. Before leaving my manager gave me a rundown on how the night was supposed to go. At 11 o'clock I was to lock the doors and we would only be taking drive through orders. But on this particular night, just my luck, one of the main door had been broken and wouldn't lock properly. If anyone comes in just tell them they can't be in the lobby and they have to order through the drive through After these words of wisdom, my manager went home to the comfort of his bed and I started my long night. Being slightly paranoid and not used to the new shift, every noise I heard outside made me jump. A few times some customers came in through the unlocked door but quickly and politely left after being asked to go through the drive through When it reached 1am in the morning I was in the back of the store organizing boxes when I heard the slam of the heavy door close. I ran to the front to tell whoever it was that they needed to leave but I saw no one. I walked into the lobby and looked all around but didn't see anyone. Did you hear someone come in? I asked my co-worker as he also came to investigate. Maybe they left. I'll check the bathroom to be safe, he said as he opened the men's bathroom, then quickly came out. Nope, no one in here. You should go check the girls' bathroom. I agreed and opened the door to the woman's bathroom. At first I didn't see anything, so I called out, Anyone in here? No response. To double check, I needed to take a few steps into the bathroom, and at this time I was able to see some feet behind the stall. The stall door was wide open, and as I got closer, I was able to see inside. My stomach instantly sank. I caught the eye of a woman with long tangled brown hair crouched next to the toilet with a needle in her arm. She jumped up out of surprise and ripped the needle out of her arm, squirting blood all over the floor. She raised the needle over her head and started to move towards me. I let out a scream and ran out as fast as I could, past my co-worker. I whipped around just in time to see her running out the front door. My heart was racing and I was scared to death and ended up going home right after. I quit the next day. So lady shooting up in the bathroom at 1am, let's not meet again. So to get into the neighborhood I grew up in, you'd have to drive down this old dirt road for a couple of miles and pass some small farms. Right outside of our neighborhood entrance was a spooky house that was surrounded by a cluster of giant oak trees. A red and white jeep from the 1960s sat outside and there were never any lights on and the blinds were always closed. Well I ended up meeting the guy that lived there several times. Sometimes he slowly followed me in his jeep while I was on my bike. One time he showed up at my house to watch me jump on my mini trampoline in my front yard and grab me by my arm. Other times he would sit in his jeep at 6am and stare at me while I stood at the bus stop. My Uncle Dave is super awesome in a really goofy sort of way. He's always playing pranks on me. He once convinced me that a hot pepper was a pickle and got me to chow down on one of the chilies. 
which prompted me to wash my own mouth out with soap in the restroom. He lived in Connecticut, and when my family moved down south to this neighborhood, we didn't see him much. One weekend after several encounters with that creepy guy, Uncle Dave announced that he was coming over to visit and would be staying in our guest room. My mom let me stay up and wait for him to arrive. However, seeing me fall asleep on the couch several times, she ordered me to go to bed and said I could see Uncle Dave when I woke up. In the middle of the night, I woke up with an eerie feeling. The hair on the back of my neck stood up and goosebumps covered my body. I had this uneasy feeling of being watched. Stiff as a board not trying to move my head, I announced to the watcher that I am awake and aware of its existence. I moved my eyes around the room to look for anything out of the ordinary. My nightlight was in the corner of the room, which created a pretty decent glow in the room. It was really easy to make out my Beanie Baby collection, my desk, my dresser, and the man crouched next to my dresser. Okay, what the hell, my little mind thought. I could see a guy with dark hair sitting with his back against the wall and his right side leaning against my dresser. His knees were pulled close to his body and I could see his teeth and the whites of his eyes gleaming. He was facing me. I stared at him for a long time and he didn't move. At first, I was terrified. Then I remembered Uncle Dave. Of course, he always plays pranks on me. It's his life mission. He's probably trying to trick me again. If I cry or scream, he'll jump up laughing and will shout, Gotcha! I can't let Uncle Dave win. I stare at him for a while and he didn't move a muscle. He never gave up the game. It felt like hours and I felt the sense of dread fill me. As much as Uncle Dave loves pranking me, I can't picture him staying up all night to do this weird creepy prank. A small voice in my head tried to convince me that it was someone else, not Uncle Dave. I closed my eyes and pretended to be asleep. I peeked and saw that the man was still there. He wasn't a figment of my imagination. I closed my eyes and imagined myself shouting for my mom and how she dashed to rescue me. Even if it was my Uncle Dave, I wanted no part of this prank. At some point, after hours of adrenaline, I crashed and fell asleep. When I woke up in the morning, I immediately checked my dresser and saw no one. Feeling relief wash over me, I felt fully convinced it was Uncle Dave being dumb again. Leaping out of bed and rushing out of my room, I ran into the living room, gleefully shouting, Ha ha, Uncle Dave, you didn't get me. That was the dumbest prank ever. My mom turned to me with a weird look on her face and told me that Uncle Dave was still in Connecticut because his flight was delayed. I figured my mom was just in on the prank and told her what happened, insisting that Uncle Dave was there. When she shook her head no, I felt a wave of horror flash over me as I tried to figure out who that was in my room. My mom told me I was just imagining things and she wouldn't entertain me. Flash forward a bit later, I'm again in bed, my nightlight's on. I somehow forgot about the creepy man and was more focused on stuff like Captain Planet in Game Boy. I woke up in the middle of the night with the same eerie feeling. I checked by the dresser but didn't see anything. Feeling relieved I settled back into bed and counted sheep. While laying there I saw a slender hand creep up the side of my comforter from under the bed. It felt around looking for something to grab onto. At that second every alarm system in my body was screaming except for my mouth. I tried so many times to open my mouth and shout, but nothing would come out. I felt paralyzed. 
The hand was on my bed for probably five minutes, but it felt like the longest five minutes of my life. I lay there petrified and fantasizing about running out of my room or calling for my mom, but I couldn't get my mouth or legs to work. Instead, I laid there, frozen like a wuss. I was eventually able to call for my mom, but in the middle of me shouting, Mom! My nightlight turned off. I don't remember what happened after that, but I think I fainted from fright. When I woke up, I stood up on my bed and took a flying leap, then ran out of my room to tell my mom what happened. My dad checked under my bed and again told me it was just my imagination. Despite my mom trying to convince me I was crazy, I was firmly convinced that the man had been in my room not once, but twice. After that, I would start springing from my bedroom door and take a flying leap mid-room, landing with a thud on my bed. I was convinced if I did not do this, if I walked up to my bed like a normal person, someone hiding under my bed would grab my ankles. I had a bed skirt on my bed, so it was impossible to look underneath for any creepy lurkers. As time went on, other things happened. Some person stood in the pitch black of my backyard one night and made human meowing noises at my window. Someone tapped on my window. The screen of my window had been pried open, and I saw the red jeep parked in front of my house several times. When I finally told my mom about the red jeep, she went white and started making all these phone calls. Apparently, the guy who lived in the dark house had previously been accused of raping a child, but was never convicted, but was convicted of indecent exposure. The court took away his driver's license and had him register as a sex offender. When my mom heard that he was violating his conditions and following kids in the neighborhood in his car, she called the cops. The cops went to his house and ended up searching it. Inside, they found this weird wooden chair with a large hole on the seat. Allegedly, the guy would ask the neighborhood farm girls to sit on the chair, and he would just lay on the ground underneath the chair, looking up their dresses. Sometimes he would ask farm children to defecate through the hole and would promise gifts. One kid got a new bike out of it. Apparently all of the kids from the farms knew about this guy and his chair, but never reported him because they like getting free stuff. I don't know what his name is or where he is now. I tried Googling some keywords with my old neighborhood to see if anything pops up, but could never find anything. I also have no idea if he was a guy in my room, but after hearing about him and remembering how he would follow me to my house in his Jeep, I became pretty convinced he was a guy who had hit in my room twice. A few years ago, my roommate and I lived on the third floor on the back side of an apartment building. She was in the process of moving out though, so it was mostly just my dog, George Washington, and I. I knew just about every neighbor from my building, and from what I know, they were all super chill. In order to understand this story, I need to explain the way my apartment is set up. In order to get to the door to enter our apartment, you will pass by my window, which was a very long window in my bedroom. I had never had any issues until about 2 a.m. on a Saturday night. I heard footsteps on the walkway outside my window and saw a shadow pass it. I'm usually a groggy person when I first wake up, but ever since it's just been me, I became more aware of my surroundings, so it jolted me awake. I had a nightstick under my bed, 
So I grab it and debate about what I'm going to do for about 30 seconds. I open my bedroom door quietly and I started to notice the front door handle jiggle ever so slightly. Clearly at this point I could either shit my pants, get attacked, or scare the person off. But I chose to scare the person off. I turned on the light outside and kicked the outside door as loud as I could and screamed a string of words that would make a sailor blush. Then I heard footsteps turn and quickly walked the other way. I called my stepdad, who thankfully lived close by. He came by to check up on me and wanted me to stay with them. But I said I'd be fine, and off he went. The next morning, I got up ready for church, not really thinking about the night before. I returned home shortly after and was texting on my phone as I reached to get my keys and put them into the lock on my front door. I couldn't find the keyhole though, so I looked up and I noticed my entire lock had been bashed in. It hadn't really set in what happened yet, so I opened my door and looked in. A lot of stuff was gone. Television, computer, jewelry. Luckily they left my dog there and unharmed. The irony is, I got him to be my best friend and a guard dog. He fulfills one of those roles. I'll let you figure out which. My brain finally caught up to my surroundings, so I grabbed George and ran outside to call the police. They come out, guns drawn, as they cleared my apartment. It felt so unreal to talk to forensics in your own residence. They never found out who did it, and in the end, it worked out okay. A lot of the jewelry they stole was from an ex that I had intentions of pawning anyway and the renter's insurance covered that, so I got some sweet new technology upgrades. However, I'm still very unsettled internally about that night and day, particularly about the night. I replay it often and wonder what would have happened if I had not woken up, or if the person hadn't been so easily turned away. It's also very unsettling to know that they were watching me, waiting for me to leave for church so they could break in. Ever since that day, I keep my head on a swivel, and pay extremely close attention to my surroundings, particularly when I get home. So to the thieving assholes who scared me and stole my stuff, let's not meet. So about three years ago when I was 18 or so, I was on Grinder, and someone messaged me. This lovely gentleman shall be referred to as Rando. So we start talking and we ask how we were and what we were up to, the usual conversation starter. Shortly after beginning the conversation, Rando began to sound rather depressing, bemoaning about his insecurities and how everyone hates him, occasionally talking about how he should just kill himself. So, being the nice person I am, I tried to find something to compliment him on, trying to make him feel better, that sort of thing, or bring a smile to his face at least. And that's where things began to get heavy. Rando begins deflecting my compliments, calling me a liar, or a user, or saying I'm just trying to make fun of him. I tried my best to reassure him that my compliments were genuine, because I hate seeing people depressed or down. It's just my nature to bring joy to people. Now, I've been in his shoes before, with the severe insecurity thing, so I know how it felt. After he finally began to believe my compliments were real, he began to get very attached to me. He started sending me over 20 messages at once, and if I didn't reply to him within 5 seconds, he'd start to be like, oh, I guess you found someone better to talk to then. 
You're just like the rest. And it began to get frustrating at this point. Now, I could have just blocked him and saved me the headache, but I have anxiety and feared that he would just turn up at my door someday and do something drastic if I blocked him. He also tried to send me nudes to grab my attention when I didn't reply literally instantly to his messages, and it got worse and worse from there. Eventually he told me that he was in my town over the weekend and began to get very pushy about meeting up somewhere. When I didn't reply, he flips out and starts finding me on different social medias to keep tabs on me, Facebook messages, friend requests, Instagram follows, etc. I went on a night out with some friends of mine at the time forgetting that he was in my town over the weekend and he saw me walking down the street and ran up to me bawling his eyes out about me trying to avoid him and then he began begging me for my phone number and my house address and whether he could join us for the night out and when we politely refused he followed us further and tried forcing drinks into my hand when we got to the bar infuriated by how cringy he was being I went home to just realize he boarded the same bus as me and followed me back to my place before he finally disappeared. He started messaging me on Grinder about visiting my home sometime or trying to find my friends to get my phone number. I finally snapped at this point and finally blocked him and thought that was that, only to discover the next day he was trying to catfish me with my own pictures to get my attention and screaming to know why I blocked him. At this point, things had got way too heavy and I deleted Grinder from my phone, changed my number and moved just to avoid him. The whole experience really puts me off, dating people with severe insecurities out of fear that something like this will occur again, and I've been trying against my nature to avoid complimenting people too much. Three years later, and I haven't seen him since. So Rando, let's not meet. This happened May of last year. I was staying with my ex-mother-in-law for the past year while my son and I got back on our feet after leaving my abusive ex. She lives in a fairly decent neighborhood. Not one of those rich ones with HOA, but not one of the crackhead ones either. Just a simple mid-class neighborhood. Back in March and April, there had been reports on our neighborhood site about some cars being broken into, presumably by kids. Not a huge deal. And after not keeping anything important in my car, anyways, we all kind of brushed it off. One night I was feeling pretty sick and she offered to watch my son if I wanted to go downstairs for the night. Grateful for the offer I accepted and made my way downstairs. At this point I feel like I should explain more about the layout. Upstairs is a finished three bedrooms, two bath style house. The downstairs is a garage that was finished and turned into the three extra bedrooms. Two of the bedrooms are off to the left side and the other one is on the other side. You have to pass the laundry room and a storage room to get to the other one, which is the one I slept in. This room is completely closed off from the rest of the house. In the storage room, there is a door that leads outside. This door is kept deadbolted and chained at all times. Keep this in mind. So I climb in bed. It's probably nine-ish, and I fall asleep fairly quickly. The rest of this is kind of a blur. At some point of the night, I start hearing noises, which I brush off as someone walking around upstairs and go back to sleep. The noises wake me up a few more times before I realize that they're in the room. At this point, I think a cat must have gotten into the room 
So I didn't get up, but I glanced around the room, and I could see almost the entire room from where I was laying. Over by the window, I see a white thing moving. I realized that the cat just followed me down without me noticing. Aggravated, I go to get up, and I realize what I'm seeing. It's not our white cat. It's not even a cat at all. It's the curtain and something coming through the window. At this point, I froze. I didn't know what to do. I just laid there and watched someone climb through the window and stand up. He was wearing a hat and stood at average male height. I could tell he was looking my way, but I couldn't make any features out. He walked over to my bed and leaned over till we were face to face. I didn't know if he could see my eyes open. I wanted to scream and say something, but I knew nobody could hear me upstairs. My heart was pounding, and it took everything I had to stay still and not scream. I didn't know what to do. The man was less than a foot away from my face as he leaned over my bed. I thought about making a move or saying something, but I couldn't make my mouth or body move. I was just paralyzed. He then turned and walked away out of the room. I heard the deadbolt to the door outside click and the door opened and he left. I heard him then come and close the window. I realized the noises I heard earlier was him prying the window open. I called my ex-mother-in-law as I was hysterical and so scared to move. She didn't believe me. She told me everything was locked up and it was just a nightmare. I got up and checked the window to find it had been pried open. She finally came downstairs and the door that leads to the outside was unlocked. All three locks were undone. This is the point that she realized that I wasn't making this up. We never figured out who it was or what they wanted and we haven't had any issues since then. So middle of the night intruder, let's not meet again. This happened very recently, only about four days ago, while I was camping with my best friend. We were both seniors in high school, and we were on a road trip for spring break. We live in Oregon, and drove down the coast of Northern California. We had a late start leaving our houses, and arrived at a little beach south of the Redwoods, just after 9pm. It was pouring rain, and dark out, so we parked on a dirt road that had access to the beach, and decided against walking down in the sand to set up camp. My friend drives a Toyota pickup with a camper shell covering the bed, which has a mattress in the back, so we decided to just sleep there. The beach area where we were was very secluded and belonged to a local Native American tribe that didn't mind visitors using the site, as long as they were respectful. After talking for a while in the shelter of the truck, my friend falls asleep. Before drifting off myself, I realized I had forgot to lock the passenger door of the truck. All of our valuables were stored in the cab, so I hoped nobody would come along and rob us in our sleep. After a dreamless few hours of sleep, I heard the sound of the driver's side door handle of my friend's truck begin to lift. The door happened to be locked, and I was awake at this point. Terrified whoever had been trying to open the door would go around to the unlocked side, or try to get into the bed where they likely had no idea we were sleeping. It was still dark out at this time, but I heard footsteps start to walk around the back of the truck. I grabbed a flashlight and shined it through the back of the window of the camper shell in hopes of alerting the intruder that people were in the vehicle. 
I heard footsteps get a little farther away. Then I heard the sound of sticks snapping and something heavy being thrown. Then the man let out a long, guttural yell. A few moments passed and more things were thrown and more general yells mixed with the occasional F-bomb at the top of his lungs. It didn't take more than two or three yells before I woke up my friend. Dude, there's a crazy man outside. He tried to get in the truck. Now he's walking around yelling as I shook his shoulder. My friend sat upright and tried to peer out the window, but it was still pitch black out. I checked my phone and it was 5 a.m. The sounds of the man walking around the woods near our truck didn't let up. Neither did the frequent yells and sounds of him throwing and smashing what I could only guess were logs or large rocks. Occasionally we would hear his yells from farther away and we thought he was leaving only to have him return yelling right by our truck only moments later. We sat huddled in fear for a good hour, unsure what to do. His shout sounded as though he was full of rage but never attempted to get into the truck again. Eventually, the owners of the other car that was parked on the dirt road came up to the vehicle and drove off as the sky started to lighten. We didn't hear any more yelling or log throwing after that. We eventually were both able to fall back asleep for a few hours, waking up around 10 a.m. It was hard to believe that that terrifying hour at the crack of dawn even happened, but both of us remember it too vividly to dispute. We still have no idea what the man was doing or why he sounded so angry. But to the guy screaming profanities in the dark by your truck, let's not meet. I'm a 27-year-old male, and I live in the UK with my fiance. I currently work as a teaching assistant for teenagers with special education needs in a school not far from the Bradgate Park. I have worked in a number of schools in children's homes and now these buildings, especially in children's homes. This particular story happened in 2013 when I had just started working as a support worker at a care home for teenagers and young adults 18 to 30 with autism, brain damage, and challenging behavior. The house that I worked in was pretty big. There were two living rooms, a large kitchen, a game room, a study, and five bedrooms. There was also a huge garden with a summer house slash activity room that led onto acres of fields and woodlands. I had been working there for about three weeks and primarily worked the waking night shift. This shift ran from 12 p.m. until 8 a.m. and it was my duty to make sure all the residents were settled in for the night and to get all the cleaning done before the next day's staff come in to take over. I would usually get all my jobs done around 1 a.m. and spent the rest of the night listening for anyone that woke up. I'd watch TV or sometimes just play games on my phone once I was finished. The residents usually slept all night. One particular night, a young man named James was particularly restless. He was not very big, but he had a lot of strength behind him. And when he got into one of his bad moods, the slightest thing could set him off. He once threw a member of the staff through the patio door because she had forgotten to put cold water in his tea before he drank it. He could not form sentences and would communicate with fairly simple words put together in a way that he understood. For example, he would say something like, James make breakfast, when he was ready for breakfast, or James go outside, if he wanted to play outside. He was generally well behaved and could be quite funny when he wanted to be, but he was well known for his temper. Around 11 p.m., 
James got up and came downstairs to make a drink. I stood in the doorway and watched to make sure he didn't break anything or hurt himself. And he eventually went back upstairs without any real bother. I sat on the top step and kept my eye on his door for maybe 15 minutes or so to make sure he didn't wake up any other residents. Once he had settled in, I went back to my cleaning. The room beneath James' bedroom was a communal living area with board games, a TV, sofas, books, and stuff like that. I was in there dusting and mopping the floor when I heard something heavy drop to the floor in the room above. I knew James was prone to temper tantrums if he got frustrated, so I went upstairs and knocked on his door. As I reached for the key to open it myself, he opened the door and looked at me. He seemed perfectly calm and his eyes were almost half shut, like he had been asleep. I asked him if he was okay and he said yes and put his thumb up. This was something he did when he was in a good mood and not stressed out. So I left him to it and told him to be careful, thinking that he had just knocked something over. An hour or so passed and by now I was in the kitchen cleaning the sink. I heard another bang above me, like something had been dropped. Then I realized that the room above the kitchen is currently empty. The house was set up to house five residents, but we currently only had four, and the room above me was a spare, empty bedroom. I immediately went to go check it out, but the room was empty. I stood there for a while, and as far as I could tell, everyone was asleep. Due to the nature of the conditions and behaviors, each resident has an alarm fitted to their door that is activated at night. So if anyone leaves their bedroom, a small receiver box that a night staff carries will make a noise and light up for a few seconds to indicate the door had been opened and is numbered 1 through 5. The alarm had not gone off, so I knew that the noise did not come from any of the residents. I got back to cleaning and didn't hear anything else for the rest of the night. The following night, I got to work just before 10 and as I entered the hallway, I could tell something was wrong. James was at the bottom of the stairs covering his ears and humming loudly as three members of staff were with him. After a few minutes he was escorted to a sitting room and the house manager gave me a rundown of what had been going on. Apparently for the last few hours James had been quite agitated and kept repeating the phrase, Sarah, little girl. This is something we had never experienced with him before and the general conclusion was that he saw something on TV or in a movie that stuck in his head and made him repeat the phrase. Once James had settled in bed, the night staff left and the other member of the staff that was sleeping in went to the staff bedroom. I got on with my tasks, as usual, and finished around 1am. So after that I went upstairs to do a quick check on all the residents. But as I got onto the first floor landing, I noticed the light had been turned off. There were two small corridors leading to the bedrooms on the left and right hand sides of the staircase. James' room was on the left, and the light switch was just outside his room. I turned the corner and flicked the switch, and there, in the darkness and complete silence was James. He stood in the corner completely naked, and his eyes as wide as he could possibly hold them. I'm a big guy, 6 foot 3, and weigh about 220 pounds, but at that moment I felt really creeped out. I spoke calmly to James and asked him what was going on, and for a while he said nothing at all. Then, as I turned the light back on, he went into an ear piercing scream and started slapping himself around the face. The sleeping staff woke up at this point and helped me calm down the situation and get James back into bed before reassuring the other residents that everything was fine. After that night I had four days off, 
My shift patterns were seven days on, two days off, followed by eight days on, and four days off. And I was relieved that this incident happened just before my time off began. I got back to work the following week and was told that the situation with James, talking about the little girl, had got worse. He would spend hours staring out the window that overlooked the garden, saying, Little girl, where are you, little girl? And no one knew where he got that phrase from. That night, around 3 a.m., the alarm went off to say that door 5, the spare room, had been opened. Now, this instantly seemed a bit weird, as the door to the spare room was always kept locked because it was being used as storage at the time. I went up to investigate and found James standing in the room, in the dark. He didn't seem to notice me enter, and he just stood there whispering, Where are you? Over and over again. I gently touched him on the shoulder and said something like, Come on, mate. Let's go back to bed. It's late. James turned around and started heading back to his room, and for a second I was relieved. As I locked the door to the spare room, he screamed out, Oh no! And started slamming the door with both fists. As he did this, the alarm went off to indicate that the front door had been opened. The only people with a key to the front door were myself and the house manager. The door has four locks on it, two that require a key, and two others that require electric ID cards. Now it's 3.25am and the manager never came in before 8. So I presumed that there must be some kind of mistake and continued to defuse the situation with James. He finally calmed down and went back to his room. So then I went downstairs to check on the front door. To my surprise, it was wide open. I shut it immediately and started to check every room in the house in case someone had got in. I then checked each of the residents to make sure they were still in the house. Everything was fine. The next night, everything was calm around 2 a.m. when one of the other residents, Connor, got up and said someone was tapping on his window. I guess that he must have been dreaming, since his window was on the third floor of the house and at least 25 feet off the ground. I went back up to his room with him to reassure and check his window. Sure enough, it was shut and securely locked. As he got back in bed, I heard footsteps on the stairs outside his room. He froze for a second and looked at me with an expression of pure panic on his face. I opened the door to see who it was, but no one was there. He was clearly scared by this and said, Is he back? My blood ran cold and I asked, Is who back? What do you mean? Connor looked over my shoulder and then sank back into bed, pulling the duvet up to his mouth. I turned around to see what he was looking at, but there's still no one there. Tell, tell him to go away, Connor said in a hushed, scared voice. I tried to reassure him that there was no one there and I left the bedside lamp on before leaving his room. I went downstairs and sat outside on the patio with a cup of coffee. It was the middle of January and was about negative two outside, but I felt like I had to get out of the house for a while. After about 40 minutes, I went back inside and washed my cup in the sink, dried it and put it back in the cupboard. Beneath the cupboard was a locked, secured drawer where we kept all the sharp knives until needed. The drawer was slightly open this was obviously a major issue as none of the residents were allowed to access the knife drawer without supervision. I counted all the knives and realized that there was one missing. So I woke up the sleep-in staff and told her the situation and we began a search. Nearly two hours later, we still hadn't found the missing knife so we decided to keep up our guard and make sure none of the residents were hiding it. 
Two hours later, at 5.30, the alarm sounded. It was a door to the spare room again. I went up to check it and found that the door was locked. How could the alarm have been activated by the door opening if the door was still locked? I went inside and turned the light on. To this day, I still have no explanation for what I found and I often think about this incident. The bed had been pushed from its usual place and was against the wall and the wardrobe doors were open. There were screws and nails all over the floor, but nothing was broken. But the most disturbing part, in the middle of the room, there was a child's doll, a gold bracelet, and the missing knife from the kitchen. The doll was an old style baby doll. My guess that it was made in the 50s from the style of clothes and the overall look of the doll. The bracelet was simple but old looking. I left everything as it was and reported to the manager as soon as she arrived. No one ever claimed the bracelet belonging to them and it was taken to a charity shop soon after along with the doll. After the doll and bracelet were moved from the house, James seemed to calm down and never mentioned the little girl or stood in the dark again. I still don't have an explanation for everything and sometimes I think that the combination of strange behavior from a young autistic guy and the fact that the house was old. But on the other hand, a lot of stuff happened that I can't really explain. My only regret now is that the doll and bracelets are gone and can never be examined or identified. Maybe it was paranormal, who knows, but now I work day shifts and do not plan on working night shifts anytime soon. This happened last night and really freaked me out. I broke my foot a few weeks ago and I am using crutches. Even though it takes a lot out of me, I still have to use public transportation most of the days because I live in Tokyo and cabs are too slow and expensive. So far this has just been an inconvenience because Japan is pretty safe. Last night a guy approached me when I was coming downstairs at my local station asking me if I was okay. I assured him that I was and he started asking me questions. They are pretty innocent at first. Just like, where are you from? How did you break your foot? I honestly didn't think much of it because people here are fascinated with foreigners. But then it escalated to, where do you live? Let's get a drink. I told him that I didn't want to because I don't drink and I just wanted to go home and sleep. I had just finished work and I was tired. But he didn't want to take no for an answer and he kept following me. Once we left the gate, he puts his arm on my shoulder and tries to physically move me in the direction of the restaurant going, see, it's just right there, get a beer with me. This happened a few times and I kept saying no and he just followed me. At one point he tried to remove my glasses saying, you're so pretty. I probably should have smacked him with one of my crutches or yelled at him at that point. But I was so freaked out that all I could think was I couldn't let him follow me home. Fortunately, there's always a taxi waiting outside of the station late at night for people that are too drunk to get home on their own. I made my way over to one, creepy guy at my side with his arm around me. He was so close that one of my crutches got caught on his leg and I nearly fell. I waited till I was right next to the taxi before waving at the driver to get his attention. Creepy guy did not like that, demanding to know what I was doing and I just shrugged. Taxi. And I got in. For a moment I was worried that he would try to get in after me, but he just stood there watching me drive off. From his reaction, I'm fairly certain that he did plan to follow me. I'm not sure how I feel. 
I'm glad nothing worse happened, but I felt so powerless and scared. A part of me still does. It was the first time anything like this had ever happened to me, and it's hard not to beat myself up for not doing more and for not standing up for myself. So dear creepy guy at the train station, let's not meet. This isn't your typical scary story. It's not about ghosts, creepy mountain men in the woods, or strange creatures lurking in the shadows. This is about the worst dating experience I've had so far, and hopefully will ever have. I'm a 30-year-old male. I recently had a long-term relationship fall apart, and I moved to a new city. I had been trying my luck in online dating for a while, and while I hadn't had a whole lot of actual luck, I still managed to meet some women who were fun to text here and there, and occasionally hang out with at the bar. But since meeting this woman, I've been very hesitant to ever go back on those sites. For this story's sake, I'll call her Allie. My first date went alright. We went to a rock club, and then went down to the river to talk and smoke some cigarettes. She was quite a bit younger than me, 21 or 22, and definitely acted like it. Most of the jokes and references I made were too obscure for her, or were way before her time. Movies and TV shows that were drilled into my head growing up were completely unknown to her, and she didn't even listen to much of any classic rock I grew up with. Bands like The Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, and Fleetwood Mac were all brand new to her. Despite that, she insisted that we still had tons of stuff in common. I wasn't sure about that, but I still had a fun time, and we decided we would hang out again sometime. The next day, Ellie calls me, asking what I had planned for the day. I remember thinking at the time, that that was classy of her to prefer calling over text. I told her I was going to go visit my parents and I was going to be out of town for at least the next two days, which was 100% true. She told me to have fun and I proceeded to prepare for the visit and make my two hour drive to my hometown. Pretty much as soon as I get to my parents house, the rest of the world disappears. Beer and wine were flowing, the pool was at perfect temperature, the grill was fired up and we just couldn't stop telling goofy stories and laughing. My phone was the last thing on my mind. The day came to a close and I started getting ready for bed. This is when I noticed my phone had been going off all day. Allie called me six or seven times, left two voicemails, and left me at least ten text messages. The messages started out like, Hey, I hope you're having fun. And, When do you think you'll be back? But quickly turned more disturbing. She started talking about her drug habits and committing suicide. Her last text was about 15 minutes earlier. They read, call me, time is a factor. Being pretty alarmed about the whole situation, I hesitated, but eventually called her back. She answered with a creepy voice. Hey, you said you're in this town, right? I'm here too. Wanna hang out? She followed me two hours and had spammed my phone, hoping that I'd drop my plans to hang out with her. And if that wasn't bad enough, she was trying to use guilt as a weapon against someone that she met just a day earlier. I told her I was too drunk to go anywhere and that I needed to sleep. I hoped that would be the end of it, but it sure wasn't. Through the rest of the night and all the next day she tried to contact me, same stuff as before. I had a lot of things to do that day, plus I had a long drive ahead of me, so I wasn't really interested in being on my phone. I got home exhausted from the active weekend and was really looking forward to a peaceful night home alone. I dozed off early in the evening. And when I woke up, Allie had blown up my phone yet again. She told me that she didn't have enough gas to get home from my hometown, and she had no money. 
She wanted me to drive all the way back, put gas in her tank, and then hang out with her more. I told her no flat out. She continued to guilt me, and like an idiot, I agreed that if she could make her own way back, we would hang out that night. So a couple hours later, she told me that she made it home and asked me to pick her up. I should have listened to my brain screaming that it was a bad idea. But I picked her up, and halfway back to the house, she pops literally a handful of pills. When I asked her what she was doing, she replied, I'm coming down too hard. I have struggled with substance abuse in the past, and I had told her I didn't care what she did on her own time, but I didn't want that thing happening anywhere near me. She sort of apologized, but mostly pride to hear about my past, of which I told her very little. When we got to my house, we smoked cigarettes before going to my room. Not even 10 minutes later, she started to look extremely sick. I asked her if she was okay, and she responded with a lot of vomit all over my bedroom floor and collapsing onto my bed, taking up the whole mattress. I rolled her on her side and started cleaning up. By the time I was done, it was after midnight, and I was too angry to go to sleep. I stayed up watching TV, hoping that it would stir her awake and make some room for me to lay on my bed. After a while, my eyes grew tired, and I decided it was time to go to sleep. This is when I noticed that she rolled on her back. Then I noticed she wasn't breathing. I lost my shit. I started shaking her and screaming in her face. She wouldn't stir. I tilted her head back and opened her mouth to check her airway. Still nothing, and I couldn't detect any obstruction. I had a brief moment of panic. I am fully trained to deal with these situations, but for the life of me, I didn't know what to do. All I could think about was that there would be a good chance I would have to explain to her family why she died in my bed. After what felt like an eternity, but was probably only 30 seconds, I regained enough of my composure to take action. I checked her pulse, and it was eerily slow and weak. I shook her and checked her airway one more time before getting on the phone with 911. As I'm about to push the call button on my phone, she coughed and started snoring. At this point, I was beyond livid. I shoved her over to make room for myself, halfway hoping she would roll off the bed and wake up. The next morning, I told her everything. I told her that I needed to get her home, and I had a lot of things to do that day. Even after making up some story about an emergency at work, she persisted if I wanted to hang out that afternoon. I should have been honest with her and say hell no. Later that night, I got two more voicemails from her, both almost identical. She said she was checking herself into rehab and that she wanted to hang out one more time before she left. I ignored them and blocked her number. A few months passed and I was finally able to laugh about the whole thing. Then, just last night actually, I got a text at 3am from an unknown number. Hey, it's Allie. I got a new phone. Wanna hang out? It was early July. I had just began my senior year of college, but was home for the summer. While at home, I met Lisa on Tinder. Lisa lived in the same town as my college and invited me to come stay with her for the weekend. I happily obliged because that booty. The weekend with Lisa went great. We started dating. I returned a couple weeks later. It's now late July or early August 2012. My housing for the upcoming year was going to be in our fraternity housing, off campus. We had a main house, the big house, and a smaller house in the backyard, the little house. I needed to clean up the little house as I was going to move into it, 
Since it was left pretty filthy by the previous tenants, Lisa offered to help, so we spent most of our time in there. The little house was stockpiled with furniture that people had left for the summer instead of taking home. There were probably six or seven couches stuffed into a teeny living room, so you literally had to hop from one to another to navigate the room, which we made a game of it and made great use of them during the weekend. Sorry, bros. To give you an idea of the layout, the little house was a ranch-style brick home with three adjacent bedrooms at the back of the house and a kitchen and living room at the front. The front door entered directly into the living room. The side door, if entering the home, was off to the right on the far side of the kitchen. In the living room was one large 6x8 glass window covered with blackout curtains at the front of the house. Okay, so here's the story. It's late, probably around 11 p.m. Lisa and I were tuckered out, and we cuddled up on one of the couches to watch the London Olympics. She dozed off, head on my chest, and I'm left there happily pinned down. Suddenly, the front doorknob starts to shake. I'm caught off guard because it's summer in an empty college town, and we weren't expecting anyone. It stops for a moment, then the doorknob shakes more violently this time. Thankfully, it's locked. As I prepare to slide out from under Lisa to investigate, three loud bangs against the door as if someone was trying to kick it open. Their attempt failed. I'm partially relieved, but I'm still aware that there are two doors that they could enter. Lisa is awake now, delirious and frantic. What's going on? What was that? I hushed her and told her to get up and go to the back of the house and to go into the bedroom and lock the door until I personally came to get her. She refused, but I demanded. She scurried across the couches and locked herself in the back room. I ran to the far side of the kitchen to make sure the side door was locked. It is. Okay, we're all right for now. Thinking to myself, weapon, what can I use? Shit, I wish I had a gun. Maybe the brothers left something. Shotgun would be ideal. I see a hunting bow with a few arrows. No, that's too cumbersome. Keep looking. Golf club. Six iron. Perfect. Everything is silent, aside from the pounding heartbeat and the faint sound of Lisa calling the cops from the back room. I'm standing in the kitchen and have a view of the front door and the side door while clutching the golf club, when suddenly the side door knob starts shaking and there's a couple of bangs at the door. Lisa screams from the back of the house, and I yell at the intruder. We're in here. We called the cops. They'll be here any second. Leave us alone. The banging stops. It's silent. Dead silent. We wait for the cops to come. Lisa and I are in the living room, full of couches. Two full hours pass. It's now something like 2.30, and still no signs of the cops. I'm both exhausted from the adrenaline crash, and angry that the cops had not come. We call them again. 911, what's your emergency? Hi, we called about two hours ago to report an intruder, but no cops ever came. Are you still in the home? Did the intruders make it inside? Yes, we're inside. They didn't get in, but I'm scared that they're going to come back. The operator asked me for my address. I'm literally spelling out my address. The front door gets slammed, kicked again. I holler at the 911 operator. They're back. Please help. Hurry. Officers are on their way. Stay on the phone. 
Keep away from the windows and doors. Lisa is freaking out. I'm freaking out. Wielding a golf club again. And suddenly, the entire front window, all six by eight, shatters to pieces. The glass is mostly contained by the black curtains. And I scream the girliest, most blood-curling scream I could imagine. I stood up and started swinging the golf club wildly, hoping to make contact with whatever or whoever was coming into the house. Moments later, we hear sirens, and I could faintly see the blue lights swirling outside through the split in the curtains. A megaphone announces the police presence. They scour the area and eventually knock on the door. Apparently, someone did try to kick down both doors, and there are boot prints to prove it. The window was shattered by a malt liquor bottle. They ended up finding a drunk dude from the trailer park nearby who had been roaming the area. I bought a gun the next day. So this has happened today. Against my better judgment, at the beginning of the month, I got a Tinder. I matched with a few guys. One of them was named James. We ended up texting each other and he seemed pretty chill and he was pretty into me. He was a decent looking guy and we seemed to click. He had apparently been in a relatively abusive relationship and he was looking to start over. According to him, she hit him with a frying pan and pepper sprayed him once. He kept going on and on about how crazy she was. We went out of the movies this past Friday and I had a great time. We ended up talking for a few hours and we hit it off pretty well. I asked him about his ex because I was a bit curious to why he would stay with someone like that. He didn't say anything positive about her, just that she was crazy and had mental illnesses and didn't take her meds. She had tried to baby trap him, but she ended up having a miscarriage. He expressed relief that she didn't end up with his kid. In all, I had a good time though. This morning rolls around and he tells me that he had hooked up with his ex last night and that he was gonna try to work things out with her. Mildly insulted that I lost out on an abusive chick, but whatever. I tell him it's cool. A few hours later he texts me to say that she was crazy and he thought that she was changing but she wasn't. Blah blah. He kept asking if he could see me. He was being very pushy about wanting to see me today. He begged me for just 5 minutes of my time so he could explain to me. I politely told him that I didn't want to be involved with someone that was so clearly hung up on his ex. This is where it gets nuts. He admitted that he still was but that he wanted to see me today so I could meet her and she could determine if I was better for him than she was and that she wanted him to be happy because he and I had a connection. I completely flipped out after that, told him that the fact that he needed his ex to determine who was right for him was absolutely nuts and that is not what love is and that I wanted no part of it. His ex started texting me after that and it was nonstop insults and shit that made no sense. She also dropped the bomb that she was actually his wife I basically told her to piss off and I blocked the number. I went on Tinder to message him where I called him a piece of shit and if he was intelligent he should leave her and never message me again. He started to harass me saying that I was miserable because they had a beautiful love together and all this other crazy stuff. Then went on to say, my wife knows where you work. I hope she doesn't do anything rash. And I told him if that was a threat I would gladly go to the police. He said that she had been to jail before and she's not afraid and that she loves him so much that she would mess anyone up even if it meant going to jail for him. That she would kill my friends if they tried to protect me and that she was also armed and dangerous. 
I told him goodbye, reported him, and deleted my Tinder account. I did go to the police tonight, but since it wasn't a direct threat, they couldn't do much. The cops think that James was more or less full of shit, and just trying to scare me, since some people love getting off on that shit. They said I did the right thing by blocking him and reporting him, and said I should just keep my eyes open and alert people at my job. The scary thing is, James seemed perfectly normal, but he lied about being married, how he felt towards his wife, and he flipped like a switch. His excuse for not being upfront about being married was that they were going to get a divorce. I honestly wonder what would have happened to me if I had gone to talk to him for 5 minutes. I'm kind of concerned since they do know where I work, but if either of them do try anything again, the cops can actually nail them. What a weekend. So I'm a 16 year old girl who takes the train every day to and from school. I've had my fair share of weird encounters with strangers on the train, but there is one that stands out. I was on my way home from school and I'm sitting on the train with my friends like any other day. The stop I get off at is after my friends stop, so I have to ride by myself for a couple of stops every day. On this day, after all my friends had gotten off, I was sitting alone. This man was walking through the aisle looking for a seat and as soon as he sees me, he says, Oh, what a pretty young lady you are. It was clear that this dude was a junkie and that he was on something as soon as I saw him. Now, I live in Finland and if you take the train home every day, then it's not very rare to come across junkies. So anyways, this dude comes and sits right in front of me and looks about 25 to 30 years old. He's wearing dirty clothes. His hair was long and greasy, and he was missing some teeth, and overall looks a bit rough. I've come across junkies on the train, and usually if you just mind your own business, they will not make any contact with you. But this man is just staring right at me, and I'm trying my best not to make eye contact with him, because I don't want him to talk to me. Despite not giving him any attention, he still goes on to compliment me, and ask me questions, like where I was going, or where I came from. I simply tell this man that I'm going home and I keep looking out the window instead of looking at him. Then he goes and asks me out on a date and suggests a coffee shop. I just say no and keep looking away. At this point there's still about 8 minutes left until my stop and I think the man is going to stop talking to me because I already declined his offer of the date. But boy I was wrong. The things he had said up to this point were pretty harmless and I was not particularly uncomfortable yet. It was about 5 p.m. and there were other people on the train so I didn't feel like I should move because I was getting off soon anyways. Then after some silence this man goes on to compliment my eyes and ask me if he wasn't good enough for me because he was a junkie and I simply shook my head no. Then he says I've got a perfect idea for a date just me and you in a dark room with some drugs and a bed. His suggestion made me very uncomfortable and I gave him a stern look. Then he asked me if I ever tried the drugs he mentioned and I just ignore him. The next few things he says disgust me to this day. He says we could spend a week in bed together and only get up to shower. And then he smirks at me and says we would have so much fun but you would be so sore when I would be done with you. He was looking at me with the most disgusting grin and I immediately understood what he meant and I got up to walk away to the other side of the train. Thankfully the train was just at my stop, so I got off and made sure he didn't get off as well. 
He didn't get off at my stop, but for the rest of my journey home, I felt grossed out. So to the junkie on the train, let's never meet again. This happened to my wife's aunt, Sarah. I apologize that I can't relay her emotions, and at times have to skimp over a few details, as this is a secondhand account, as told by my wife. This was 10 to 15 years ago, and Sarah had been recently divorced. Her husband moved out, and Sarah continued living in the house by herself for some time after that. The house was in a typical neighborhood, and wasn't secluded, or off by itself, or anything like that. As Sarah became used to living alone, she felt like she kept hearing things in her attic and began to wonder what was making the noises she heard. She called the police and had them come sweep her attic, looking for traces of anyone living up there, but they found nothing and told her it was probably just a raccoon or squirrel. In the days after the cops came to her house, she felt like the noises were getting louder, and there was no way it was a small animal. She called the police again about a week later, and the same thing happened. They didn't find anything yet again. A few days after she called the police the second time, Sarah came home from work earlier than usual. Fortunately for her, she had been dating during that time, and her boyfriend was with her when she came home that day. As she got out of her car in her garage, she noticed something was out of place, and scary as hell, at the door. A pair of muddy boots. I like to think that if she had been alone, she would have had enough sense not to enter the house at that point. But luckily, her boyfriend was with her. They cautiously enter the house and discover upon opening the door, a man standing naked in the laundry room doing his laundry. Sarah went to call the police, but the phone wasn't working, and she ended up going to the next door to use the phone. I'm a little fuzzy on the details here, but they managed to keep him in place until the police arrived, and they took him away. Turns out this guy had access to the house somehow, and he had indeed been spending time in the attic. The cops found a small hole in the attic above her bedroom where he had been watching her and on that day he cut the phone lines and put a knife under her pillow. God only knows what would have happened had she come home by herself but thankfully that didn't happen. I don't know any more details about the guy other than the fact that the cops took him away and he presumably spent some time in jail. For clarity. I'm a straight 21 year old female. So in November of 2016, I went through a pretty bad breakup. Fast forward to October 2017, I finally felt comfortable enough to try to get back out in the dating world. So like a moron, I got on Tinder. So towards the end of October, I met a guy named Dave on Tinder. And from the looks of it, he was an okay guy. He was funny and a gentleman, didn't ask for anything appropriate and seemed fine. We talked for about two weeks and set up a time to go on a date. We decided to meet where he had recently moved to, which was about 35 minutes away from my house. I got to the bar to wait for him, and he was 15 minutes late. He walked in and looked relatively similar to his pictures, which I was really happy about. And then he opened his mouth to talk and had a very strange voice, like he was on the verge of crying. It was very weird. He had some tattoos on his arm, including the all-seeing eye Illuminati symbol. Trying to break the tension, I jokingly said, Illuminati confirmed. Tell me all your secrets. He responds with, What the hell are you talking about? Don't say that kind of stuff in public. I kind of just laughed it off, but he was being real weird. He then says, You know that people that pry are people who die. I just looked at him 
and I generally did not know how to respond. Fast forward 20 minutes and a couple of my friends come to the bar after me urging them to. The minute I sit down, he puts his hand on my knee and squeezes, and not like, oh I'm interested, but a hard squeeze. I looked at him to stop and he leans over and whispers, you have lovely knee caps. By the time my friends left, which was about an hour into the date, he had seven beers and it was a Tuesday. As I go to close my tab, he stands behind me and he had a boner, full mass boner. I very quickly signed my receipt and stepped away. It starts raining and he informs me that he walked to the bar from his house and asked me for a ride. Reluctantly, I agreed. And on the very short drive to his house, he informs me that's not actually his house and that he's living in his sister's basement. When I finally park in front of his house, he leans over to kiss me and I try to give him the cheek and he physically turns my head and puts his entire tongue in my mouth. As I pull away, this guy did it again. Get the hell out of my car. And he responds with, I'm in love with you. I knew from the minute I saw your pictures. You have to come inside and meet my sister and her husband. I told him that if he didn't get out of my car, I was going to call the police. He started to tear up as he got out of my car. So weird boner, Illuminati guy, let's never meet again. So this didn't happen to me recently. In fact, it was quite some time ago. I was around 9 or 10 years old. I was with my best friend and our parents. We were on our way to the nearest shopping town. We live in a rural-ish area with not many shops and would probably be finished looking around in about 10 minutes. So we traveled by train to our nearest large city. It was easier, probably cheaper, and definitely quicker. So when the train arrived, me and my friend quickly run on to secure a table seat. Those ones that have four seats with a table in the middle, pretty self-explanatory. The train was pretty empty, and with us being kids, we wanted our own table seat and I decided to take one on opposite sides of the aisle, and that left our parents across from us. I noticed that guy a couple rows down in the normal seats. He was on his phone in a really strange position. It looked like he was taking photos of me. This was back in the day when selfies didn't really exist, so it was more than likely that he was either taking a photo of me or he was using his phone weirdly. Anyway, I pulled the collar of my coat over my face and looked the other way as I shrunk into my seat. I didn't mention anything because to be honest, I thought I was being outrageous. A couple minutes later, a lady who I remember being tall, slim, and blonde with the wavy bob and glasses went over to my mom. She crashed down next to her and spoke very quietly. I really couldn't hear well enough to know what she was saying to my mom, but my mom's face told the whole story. My mom asked me to come sit with her and my friend's mom, and the lady went over to the conductor of the train. When we got to the next station, there were groups of police officers and security waiting on the platform. The train pulled up and the weird guy was taken off. We heard later that he did in fact take pictures of me and they found hundreds of photos of other children on his phone and computer. They didn't go into detail, but I didn't ride the train for a very long time after. Worst thing is, I'm sure I saw him walking past my house a week later. So first of all, let me tell you how the story began in March of 2017. I am a 19 year old male. 
My family and I moved to a new house in March 2017. I was really excited because this house was huge and had a beautiful garden with a pool and a hot tub. I'm not bragging about this information. It will be important later. When we moved in, the real estate agent told my parents that there had been a series of home evasions in our street and that our house and our neighbor's house were the only ones which hadn't been broken in yet. The first weird thing started to happen in May 2017. My room is at the patio, so when I look out my window, I can see the patio and the hot tub. At first, I could hear the gate of our garden being opened at night. This continued for the next 10 weeks. Sometimes we would go outside in the morning and all our lamps were bashed in. It's like our property is haunted by a poltergeist since we haven't seen anybody do these things. At first we thought some burglars are opening our garden gate at night because every morning my parents open the patio door so our dog can go outside and pee while my parents would get dressed to go for a morning walk. So I guess the burglars were hoping that our dog would run off so they would have it easy to enter our home. All of these incidents made my mom feel really unsafe in our own house. All of a sudden it stopped. So we thought the person who did this moved on or got bored. But after five months, everything started over again, but worse. It's November and I wake up to hear footsteps outside my window. So I opened my eyes and wish I wouldn't have done that. The moment I was so scared of actually happened. What I saw was a 6'3 man standing outside my window, watching me while I was asleep. He looked so old, yet so young. He had this young face, but his haircut made him look 25 years older. At least that's what I could see in the dark. I was frozen. I couldn't move. So we just looked each other in the eyes for what felt like an eternity. Suddenly he ran off. So I took my chance and ran to my parents' room and told them everything. My dad grabbed his gun, which he is keeping at home now because he got worried over the last few months. He is a police officer. He ran outside but couldn't find the man, but found a broken gate, so he called the police. The police came, but they couldn't do much, and they left rather quickly. Two months later, I woke up to splashing sounds. I got up and looked outside my window. I noticed the sounds were coming from the pool, but I couldn't see it due to the trees blocking my view. So I shrugged it off, because I thought there was just something wrong with a pump which wasn't a rare thing. So I went back to bed, but I had a hard time falling back to sleep. The sounds grew louder and more intense, so I got up and went into the living room, which allows me to see the entire garden. When I look outside, I got the same feeling, which I had two months ago, when I spotted the guy outside my window. Anyway, I looked outside and saw the same man standing in our pool, draining the pool with a small cup, and I mean it how I said it. He was standing in our pool with a cup, throwing water onto the grass. He had a dead stare in his eyes like he didn't even know what he was doing. He noticed me watching and just smiled at me. I woke my dad up immediately and we called the police. They left as fast as they came since they didn't find anything but our empty pool. They said it was probably a homeless guy and he was washing himself. But I'm certain that he was not just washing himself. It's now August 2018. I've noticed weird cars in front of our house lately. 
and if someone would spot them, they would drive off. My parents left me alone this weekend, since it was my uncle's birthday. I didn't want to come along, so I decided to stay home. I got bored all alone in this big home, so I called a couple friends of mine to come hang out at my place. They came around 7pm, and we started drinking some wine and listening to music. Time passes and it was now 11pm when we heard someone knocking on our window of our living room. I thought I was imagining the knocks, but my friend looked at me like they were about to ask if I was expecting someone else. I turned off the music and listened, but all we heard was silence. I turned on the patio lights when a girlfriend of mine yelled, Hey, there's someone running. I didn't see anyone, but I heard the gate slam shut. I was worried, but decided not to call the cops since they couldn't do anything anyway. I was really glad that my friend drank something and had to crash at my place so I wouldn't be at home alone that night. Today is Saturday and my friends left around 5pm. I was in my room when I heard something fall in my bathroom so I got up to see what it was. When I walked towards my bathroom, I could see a person right behind the door. This person didn't know I spotted him so I walked back into my room, got my phone and called the police and my parents. When I passed the bathroom door, I saw the person was still in there. So I opened my camera and took a picture as proof for my family and friends. When I took the photo, my dumbass didn't think about the flash. So when I took the pic, the light illuminated the entire bathroom and the door slammed shut. I thought this was my chance to abandon the house completely. So I ran out of the house and called the police. They arrived about 10 minutes later. They went inside and came up with the same man who was terrorizing my family for over a year now, half naked. The police said he was in the bathroom, just staring at the drain. He was constantly saying, the cult elderly will eliminate you. Right now I'm sitting in my room, writing this story, and worrying about the cult he was talking about. Were the suspicious cars in the front of my house part of the cult, or was he just an insane man? The entire event doesn't seem to make much sense, and I don't know what is yet to come, but my family and I will be moving again in December. Thank God. I was on a road trip with my aunt. She isn't my real aunt, but she and my mom are best friends, so I call her that. So we are driving back from Michigan to North Carolina. We drove up there so we could see her family, and so I could see my girlfriend at the time. I must have been 18 or 19. Now some background on us. I'm 6'1", and in pretty good shape. My aunt is about 5'7", and we are both black. Now I don't remember what state we were in, but I remember we had been driving for a couple of hours. We were getting dangerously low on gas, and we needed to stop. So we pulled off of the highway, and after driving through a town, we found a gas station. My aunt got out to pump gas, and I went to go use the restroom. Now I've always been super cautious and inside this gas station had that horror movie energy. I walked into the bathroom and it seemed like I was the only one there. I stood at the urinal. I looked down at the top of the urinal was a card and I remember thinking that's a pretty weird place to put it. It was some sort of doomsday message type of thing. So I just ignored it. As I'm zipping out my pants and turning around I could feel someone looking at me. You know how you can just tell? 
I turned around, and I have never felt so small. This man was at least 6'8". He was just huge. The scariest thing about this was I didn't hear him come in. There was no way he came to that door without me hearing him. He had to have been there already. I tried to get around him, but he stopped me. This is the conversation we had. Can I get past you, please? I saw you read the card. How about I take you to my house so I can teach you what it really means? Nah, I'm good. I tried to push past him, but he followed me out and started yelling at me. Your kind's gonna be the first race to die out. And how he was. Gonna enjoy watching y'all die. I ran back to the car and screamed at my aunt to get in the car. Gotta love black aunties. Cause she didn't even question it. She just got in the car and started it. And we sped off. Luckily she had already paid. We tell the story from time to time now. Laughing about how crazy the guy was I met in the bathroom. But to this day... I always check to see if I'm alone in a public bathroom. The way the man stared at me gives me chills. So creepy huge guy in the gas station bathroom. Let's not meet again. I've just recently moved into a decent sized two bedroom house with a full basement. Where a lot of my family's not so important belongings are still stored in boxes to be sorted through. Our house resides in a quiet neighborhood, but our elderly neighbors have advised us on some sketchy figures wandering about late at night. As there's a section of neighborhood two or so blocks away that houses those who have no place to go. Fast forward maybe two weeks, I had gone down to the basement to sit through my items and had noticed a few random things on our tables. A toolkit, binders, family pictures, etc. They had been opened and strewn about carelessly. Thinking another family member was sorting as well, I picked them up and went about my task. Over the following week, I would hear strange banging coming from the basement, sort of like our washing machine lid being shut. Now I'll admit I'm skittish. My mind sometimes jumps to the worst possible outcome, so I became worried. At the time, I was the only person home so I grabbed the pepper spray and went to go check. Stupidly, I might add. Our basement has two full rooms, plus two adjoining smaller rooms, one of which had a door that I had not opened myself. It is also barred by a beam of some sort, but the door stands slightly ajar. I assume it's just a small storage area. Upon turning on all the lights and cautiously looking around, I saw that a few more of our belongings and boxes that we hadn't unpacked yet had been opened and laid on the floor. What concerned me most was that the basement door that leads to the outside on the side of our house was unlocked. That is not something my family would forget about. Further inspecting the basement proved that there was no one inside, though I did not pry open the barred door. Telling my father about this, he said that the noises were probably the heater popping and perhaps he forgot to lock the side door after taking out the trash. I'm not so convinced about his theory, but I really hope I'm not correct in thinking that someone may have found their way into our home and have been scavenging through our stuff in the basement. As I'm writing this, nothing has happened, but hearing people walk the streets shouting on some nights has me uneasy. I make sure that the doors are locked every night now. 
and on a free day, I will have my dad open that door in the basement to put my mind at rest. I grew up in a very small Wisconsin town with a lot of strange folk. I'm a petite female. I was living with my father and my younger sibling in an average home in town at the time. My grandparents frequently came over for shared dinners. I was a senior in high school and for my final semester I was able to leave school an hour and a half earlier than usual, twice a week. I relished this time home alone and would often use it to take long, hot showers since no one could scold me for using all the hot water. One day I arrived home early, as usual. Even though it's a small town, I'm always very careful about locking the doors, because at the time we had a young neighborhood boy who thought my dad was really cool, since he always worked on cars, and would occasionally just walk into our house and ask my dad questions about cars. Weird, yes, but I knew he was still in school at this point, and I was just being proactive. So I get home, go upstairs to my room, and go into my walk-in closet. This is important. Get into my robe, and go back downstairs to the shower. Mid-shower, I hear what sounded like someone walking down the stairs, very loudly. We have pretty thin walls, and the stairs are on the other side of one of the bathroom walls. I knew that there was no way anyone was home, because my dad always worked late, and my sibling was still at school, and my grandparents only come around for dinner. But in an effort to try not to freak myself out, I just convinced myself that the clear footsteps were most certainly the house settling. None of this was helped by the fact that our bathroom didn't have a functional lock and anyone could have burst in. I searched the shower for the sharpest, most weapon-like shampoo bottle and quickly finished up. Still uncomfortably moist, in a flimsy old bathrobe, I decided to search the house despite the creepy off feeling that practically everyone on Let's Not Meet has experienced. I quickly ran out over to our knife block and snatched up the meat cleaver and proceeded to ninja my way through the house with the full logical intention of hacking the intruder. I searched every nook and cranny and didn't find anything downstairs. The doors were still locked and since I didn't hear anyone go back upstairs I figured the footsteps were just a figment of my imagination and I calmed down a bit. When I got back to my room upstairs and I'm about to walk into the closet when I see something that immediately catches my eye. There's something white in the doorway, something that could not possibly have been there before. A crisp, white, gently placed, flattened pair of men's underwear. Someone had been, and may still be, in the house. Never in my life have I had such a pure flood of fear. Earlier I mentioned that I had walked into my closet to change into my bathrobe, so I would have noticed the pair of men's underwear in the doorway. I booked it downstairs and sat in the corner with a knife and a phone until my sibling and grandparents came a short while later. They were freaked out, but not too worried since we couldn't find anything else. And then it gets weirder. Later that night I tell my father about the incident and we decide to search the house for anything else out of the ordinary. While searching my dad's room, we noticed one of his dresser drawers was open, and this is unusual since he is very neat. And in this dresser drawer we found a newly opened multi-pack of men's underwear, with one missing. He had gotten this pack a few years ago, but they weren't quite what he wanted. So instead of returning them, he just left them in the bottom back of his dresser, completely forgetting about them. So someone got in, or already was in our house, opened a pack of men's underwear that was in the back of my dad's bottom dresser drawer, took one of the pairs of underwear out, and gently placed it in my closet doorway. 
while I was showering. It's a weird underwear closet guy in my house. Let's not meet. About five years ago or so, I was 23 at the time, and I just got out of my first serious relationship a year prior. That guy was the first love and the first sexual experience, so needless to say, when things ended and he had zero interest in trying to make things work out, I was heartbroken. After about a year of moping around and being stupidly sexually promiscuous, I decided to try actual dating. I met this guy named Rick on a dating website. He was a couple years older than me, was an ex-marine, cute, and good at making conversation. After a few days of talking online, he asked me for my number and we decided to meet up. I drove to his house and come to find out that he lives with a few other guys who looked rather shady. Now he actually lived in a good neighborhood, but the way they kept their home and the way his roommates looked at me was my first red flag that an inexperienced naive girl would not fit in this crowd but I decided to stay and give it a chance. Once he saw me, he came up, gave me a hug, and handed me a helmet to his motorcycle. Now, I have never in my life rode on a motorcycle before, but I've always wanted to. So I thought, why not? And I hopped on. The street that he decides to take me down is known as a very long and windy road that is pretty secluded. It's also important to note that it is springtime and it's about 5 p.m. when we go on the ride. I didn't realize at the time he had decided to take me on this specific road, but once we got on it, my red flag started to kick in. I began to realize it's dead silent out here and there are no other cars on the road right now. It's starting to get dark and I don't know this guy, so what the hell am I doing? My alarm bells start ringing. Now I will say that while I made tons of mistakes within the story, this instance is where I am proud of myself of how I reacted. Once my anxiety kicked in, I told him that we should turn around and go home. He started laughing and asked if I was scared. And I just said no. I needed to go home because my parents were expecting me for dinner. He kept riding forward. More alarm bells ringing. Pictures of me being raped or left in a ditch came to mind. I kept asking him if we could just turn around and can we please go back and he finally gave in and turned around. The next day comes. I told myself maybe I was overreacting and he was harmless and I decided to go on a second date a few days later. We met up at a sports bar for dinner and had a couple of beers while watching the hockey game. The whole entire time we were sitting there, Rick has his arm around me and has me literally attached to his hip, constantly trying to make out with me and acting extremely possessive. At this point I completely freak out because I barely know this guy and all he is talking about is our future and how he would be such a protective boyfriend since he is an ex-marine. I knew I was done with him at this point, but unfortunately my car was at his house. When we were done and headed home, he insists that I come inside and hang out for a bit. I decide to walk in and stay about five minutes. Yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. We walk into his room and he immediately pounces on me, making out with me and trying to fill me up. I kept pushing his hands away and kept telling him that I needed to get going. But I could tell he wasn't going to give up until I gave him what he wanted. Especially after I realized his little friend was aroused. He told me that he wouldn't let me leave until we did something. I have no idea what he would have forced me to do if I kept rejecting his advances. So I decided my only way out was to finish him off. So I did. And the entire time I was trying to act like I was enjoying it. 
while dying inside and hoping he would hurry up and finish so I can leave. Luckily I only used my two hands and luckily it only took him a few minutes to finish. Once he was done I literally ran out the door and sped home. After that night he tried to ask me to hang out again and I told him that I think it was best if we stayed friends. This guy became relentless calling me and texting me and begging me to see him. Then he proceeded to call me a bitch because I was ignoring him. Then would apologize for calling me a bitch and it was only because he liked me so much. So I blocked him. Then he tried to message me on Instagram. So I blocked him there and then on Facebook and finally on Snapchat. So Rick, please let's not meet ever again. When I was younger, me and my family went on a road trip to Wyoming to see Yellowstone National Park. It was a beautiful place, and if you hadn't seen it yet, I'd recommend it. Anyways, so from our home in California, it was about a 17-hour drive in our Yukon XL, the largest, most comfortable road trip SUV you can imagine. It took us several days worth of on and off driving to get there. And during the night, we would try to find a little motel to rest at. One of the nights, due to being behind schedule, my dad attempted to drive through the night to get us there sooner. He made it probably into the wee hours of the night before he deemed it unsafe and parked us in a little unlit rest stop in the middle of the woods in some flyover state. Me and my brothers had fallen asleep in the car several hours before he had stopped. So for the last couple hours, we were all sleeping in the car in this dark little parking lot surrounded by forest. Having got a couple hours of sleep and being in a pretty uncomfortable position, I woke up in the middle of the night, pretty disoriented, but not really scared. I look around to see everyone's fast asleep in a pitch black car, and naturally I feel pretty alone. I try to fall back asleep, but it's just not working, so I just sit there for a while. Boredom begins to set in. I begin to look out my window to see where we were. And it's just pitch black, so I couldn't see jack shit. Luckily, I wasn't the type to pack light and had brought a couple of flashlights in my bag. Being careful not to disturb my sleeping family, I reached into the back seat and unzipped my bag. I pulled out a little plastic yellow flashlight. It wasn't the brightest, but it was enough to see the foreground and the general surroundings. I put it up to the glass, making sure not to make a noise, and I pushed the little switch into position. I pressed my face onto the glass and looked out. At first it was a normal tree line, with some bushes and trees, but as I scanned the darkness, looking for animals, buildings, anything, I noticed a dark shape standing between these two trees in the distance. It looked like the shape of a man, but it wasn't moving, just standing there. After watching it for a good while and seeing no real signs of movement, I just assumed it was a bush of some kind. Just when I was about to turn off the light and re-attempt sleep, I saw the shadow turn 90 degrees and move behind a tree, disappearing from sight. This scared the shit out of me and I immediately turned off the flashlight and threw my sweater turned blanket over my head, shutting my eyes tightly and covering my ears. I was paralyzed with fear, too full of adrenaline to get any sleep. I sat in a semi-fetal position, clutching my flashlight for the rest of the night. I waited till the sun came up and we were back on the road before I got any sleep. I didn't tell anyone about the man that I saw in the woods.
A few years ago, I was living alone in a little house, which had a heavy back door that would swell up some after it got rained on. It got really tough to open and would make a lot of noise. Late one night, I passed out on the sofa in the living room on the opposite side of the house, but I woke up to something which I now assume was a back door being opened. I'm an idiot, by the way. I never used to lock the back door. Netflix was blaring away on my laptop as I slowly squinted my eyes open and realized there was a black outline of something standing in my hallway looking down on me. It weren't very large or tall based on how much space they took up in the door frame. Being completely disoriented in my waking state, my mind latched onto the first thought that came to my mind, which was, it must be my girlfriend. I was naked at the time and pulled back my blanket with my legs sprawled and junk hanging out and called to her in my best deep sexy voice. Come here, baby. Upon seeing a naked six foot, 200 pound man beckoning them to him with his genitalia, the not my girlfriend person immediately turned on their heel, revealing a large backpack and booked it out the back door. By the time I stumbled up to the door, all I could hear was them taking off into the darkness full sprint. I could only guess that they didn't come there with the bold intention of being the little spoon. This happened late last year. I used to take the train to and from college and I would get off in not such a great part of town in order to take the bus home. Well, my fiance was picking me up and he was late. I decided to wait and smoke a cigarette. The one guy walks up next to me and asks me for a cigarette, which wasn't too weird until he said he never had one and then he gave me $20 for a single cigarette. That was a little odd, especially since he was kind of forceful about giving me the money. It just kept offering me more and more. After that he introduced himself and would keep coming up with some excuse to hold my hand. I started to get quiet because it was getting a bit weird. Then he started to get closer to me, touching my butt gently. I moved further away. This is the part that freaked me out the most. He offered me tons of money to come into his car. He just kept offering it, trying as hard as he could, before I finally told him that if he kept talking to me I would scream. I've never been good in these types of scenarios, and I wish I would have taken down his license plate number, but I was frozen. So creepy train man, let's not meet again. My friend and I were driving for three hours to visit some friends at a different university for a party. It was a January night in Michigan, so below freezing temperatures and at least a foot of snow. We were about an hour or so into the trip and having a very in-depth discussion about a certain fantasy book series. It was very in-depth, to the point that the low gas light came on, I noticed, and then promptly forgot about it. So the next thing I know, we lost power steering and we were quickly slowing down. I pull over to the shoulder and realize that I'm a dumbass and we ran out of gas. We checked Google Maps and it shows that there's a gas station less than a half mile away, near a road on the other side of the field. It's cold, and we were poorly equipped for the cold, only having one pair of boots and one pair of gloves between the two of us. But it's only half a mile, so we decide we'll go for it. Not much choice anyway. So we make it across the field to the road, and there's nothing there. We figured maybe the GPS was off a little bit, 
So we start heading down the road towards some lights. We make it maybe one fourth of a mile before noticing there's some flashing lights over where we had left our car. A state trooper is checking the car out. So we immediately start making a beeline for the car, sprinting and shouting, hoping that he'll see us. But it's dark and he doesn't and just pulls away. My friend is a bit more out of shape than I am and he falls behind and uses the opportunity to call 911 asking them if they can send the trooper back. They say yes, but we have to be there when he arrives. So I take off sprinting again, my friend a little ways behind. We're both a bit past our prime cross-country days. So now the path that we're taking cuts through a small stand of trees, maybe 100 feet across. I opt to go through it, thinking it would be faster and a more direct option. My friend decides he doesn't like the look of it and is going around. I make it a good 30 feet or so before realizing these trees are actually some little swamp and I am now standing at 6 feet of freezing water. I'm also the one with the gloves, but not the boots. I shout out to my friend, Shit! I've stepped in a pond! Somehow he hears me. Help! I've stepped in a trap! He's kind of freaked and thinks that some farmer has set up one of those bear traps and I've gotten stuck in it. He asks if I need help, to which of course I say no. I opt to continue trying to make it through the pond. I'm cold and wet anyways, hopping from tree to tree as I can and hoping it doesn't get any deeper. Meanwhile, my friend is still running around the side of the trees. Apparently, I don't need assistance with my legs stuck in a bear trap, so he continues on his way. Then he falls into a hole, like there was just a three foot hole in the ground that he didn't see in the dark and he falls into it. He makes that okay but is now also very covered in snow and of course without gloves. We both make it back cold, wet, and freezing about a minute before the officer shows up. We get in, give him our story, and he laughs and says, yeah, there's no gas station out there and just takes us to the next exit where there was one. He also told us that we were the ninth car that had run out of gas that day, so I felt marginally less stupid. Last July I was home alone, and my family was in Riverside visiting my aunt. I live in a high crime rate neighborhood in Los Angeles. It was 4 in the morning, and I had just got back from a friend's birthday party. So I decided to watch some television in hopes that it would make me a little sleepy. Halfway through watching Hellboy, I hear the side door to the kitchen open. At first, I thought my family had just decided to come home instead of staying at my aunt's. I hear someone walk through the kitchen the dining room, and the footsteps stop as they reach the beginning of the living room. I was laying down on the couch, furthest from the entrance of the living room, and could not tell who it was. I tried sitting up to see who it was, but I didn't get a glimpse. thought my little brother was the one that walked in the living room. And so I get up to see what's taking my family so long to get inside the house. I hear footsteps, quickly leaving back out the side door. And I was shocked to realize that the family car was not in the driveway. I get extremely nervous and decide to call my dad to see what's going on. My heart sank when I found out the family was still in Riverside. I turned the outside light on and I checked how it was possible for someone to get in. The door is spotless and I couldn't find any signs that someone forced open the door. I checked my pockets to see if I had dropped the house key but it was still on my jacket. 
I checked the whole house and made sure all the doors and windows were properly closed. I didn't think to call the police because as long as nothing was missing, I was fine. Even if I did call the police, they probably would not have caught the crazy guy because it's not common to find the junkies, gangsters, and common thief hanging around my neighborhood. The next day my family shows up and I tell them what happened. My parents were shocked at first, but quickly got over it. Sometimes I still wonder how that person opened the door to my house and why none of the house keys were missing and the whole house was sealed up. The worst part though has to be that the person walked into my living room and I did not realize someone had broken in. I've always been addicted to online surveys. That was the only reason why I made an account on OkCupid. They had some really fun surveys. So I made an incomplete, sarcastic profile to be able to answer the surveys. After a while I got a message from a dude that I started to politely chat with. I warned him that I wasn't there to flirt and only there to do surveys. Then we started to be pals. Pretty soon we discovered how much anime each of us watched in life and this was the main topic of our conversations. I'm not sure how it happened but we started to see each other a lot. He seemed fun but he always had a crazy look in his eyes like you don't know what's gonna happen. He used to give me tons of attention. Convention tickets, food, weed and alcohol. Often he would hit on me, but then I would have to go back and start talking about the fact that I wasn't interested. So there was this one night. I was in college back then, and one of my classes ended at 11.50 p.m. This guy called me earlier in the evening, saying that he had a lot of weed and alcohol, and that we should hang out together that night. He said he would even pick me up at my uni. My class is over, and he's taking his time to get there. I decided to invite him to an elderly gym close to my house so we could smoke and drink together. There honestly wasn't that much weed or alcohol anyway, so soon I said, I need to go home because I have classes in the morning. Now, I live in a neighborhood that there's nothing else other than big houses. Nothing. Not a drugstore, hospital, school. Nothing. It usually takes me 20 minutes to go from the bus stop to my residence and I don't walk slow. We were in the middle of this course, so about 10 minutes away from getting home by walking from where we were. He offered me a ride and I accepted. As soon as we get into the car, he starts moving close to me, touching my thighs and asking me for oral. I get really annoyed after telling him so many times and I told him I just needed to get home soon. That's when he starts to undo his pants. I freak out a little bit, but then after a few seconds, I jump out of the car and start walking towards my house. I shouldn't have done that of course, because until then he didn't know my address completely. But I was very tired after a Calculus 3 lesson that ended close to midnight and after spending the entire day and night at uni. He shouted something I couldn't understand and I started to walk even faster. As he turns the car and starts following me very slowly, that's when I start to run. I could already see my house from afar. He accelerated a bit more but I was quicker and jumped a fence and ran to my house, locking all the doors and windows. When I woke up the next day, I had a message from OkCupid Dude, which said, I know where you live, I know who your friends are, and I know which uni you attend. By the way, I love the picture of yours with long ears and the high sock stockings. Thing is, I never posted that picture anywhere online, and I've never given him my phone to use. I deleted my account after that, of course. So screw you creepy anime dude. Let's not meet.
This didn't happen directly to me, but was one of the things that freaked and still freaks me out the most. So this happened about six years ago, in my freshman year of college. I was an inexperienced 18-year-old male and came from a small town with virtually no crime from the suburbs to the suburbs of a big city. I lived right near my university in a neighborhood that wasn't very bad. Most students lived there and I felt kind of safe. About two miles away there was quite a dangerous neighborhood filled with crime and drugs. I had even heard stories about students being kidnapped and held hostage while I was there. I'd gone to spend the weekend at my hometown, so I got on the bus, and it was about 7 p.m. Since it was around November, it was already getting dark out. I always took the train from the bus stop to the university station, and then took a 15-minute walk to my house through the campus, where I felt safe because campus security. Sometimes I would take the bus with one or two hometown friends that went to the same university as me, but this particular weekend, I was alone. So I got on the train, I saw another freshman that was taking a class with me. I didn't know him very well, but we had talked a couple of times while in the class that we were taking together. I greeted him, and since he was focused on his phone, I didn't want to disturb him, so I sat a couple of seats away from him. This next part is an important detail. This guy was carrying a rectangular shoulder computer case, which really screams, there's a computer in here. Since it was 7pm, there was still a decent amount of people on the train. However, university is a terminal station, so most of the students go there. When we were about two stations before, there were about 10 people spread all over the five or six carriages. This all happened very quickly. The doors opened and no one left at that station. Suddenly, two huge black guys burst in and grabbed my class buddy. Another huge guy that was inside the train grabbed him too. When I say huge, I mean literally like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm not exaggerating. So the dude grabbed him and took him off the train with his phone and shoulder bag. They punched him once, took the bag and were grabbing at him. Luckily he managed to get his coat off and get back on the train just in time for the doors to close. Nobody in the train reacted because people were spread out and it happened so very fast. My buddy was pale and very scared. I went to him and asked him if he was okay and comforted him. If not for a matter of seconds, those guys would have beaten him and sent him to the hospital. Both of us were scared to death. After that, I took him home and used my phone to call his roommates because they had taken away his phone and his keys. I was totally scared and freaked out too. This was the first time I witnessed a robbery and that kind of violence. It really changed the way I look at the train rides and I never took one alone again. When I'm alone, I take the taxi home and don't take any chances. So huge guy that robbed my buddy, let's not meet.